Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. everyone and welcome to episode 492 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, joined with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing good. I'm feeling no more or no less healthy than I have been over these last several months and weeks. I try not to gauge my health because it gets scary. That's all mm-hmm. I have to say on that. But uh, glad you're feeling no better or no worse. Right. I have been sleeping a little bit more, but it's less sleeping and more passing out where I am. Mm-hmm. I actually had a regular sleeping schedule yesterday, so I'm hoping that will f- go forward for the next couple of days where oh, I'm good. not up at 3 a.m. 3 so should work nicely, I hope. Right, luckily you don't have a bunch of wrestling to watch this week like I do. Oh, God forbid in the future I ever have to do something like that. But anyway, would you like to know what we have on the show this week? I do. All right, in the news section today we ha- we've we got some bat news. Also, your update on all late books and stuff that you absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. Plus all the scuttlebutt of what's going on at DC now that uh, DC is, you know, or Didio uh, is out. Um, con news with... Potential for some big news there, too. Free digital books and sales. What we read last week, which was Quantum and Woody number two and Suicide Squad number three. What we're looking forward to this week. I believe I have an art attack. And at the end of the show, spoiler-filled talk of Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, and the season finale of Doctor Who. Which either could be a lot of talk or little talk, depending on how much Joe wants to know. I do have a lot of questions, and we also have a report from the floor of C2E2 and uh, an interview with Flash writer Joshua Williams from friend of the show and Transmissions host Jeremy to work in with all of this as well. So a jammed up show, if there ever was one. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Let's start things off with uh, my favorite thing to discuss, as always, which is those late books. Right. And a lot of changes and kind of, I guess, follow-ups to some late books as well. Um, You know, we had discussed previously uh, that the Green Lantern Season uh, 2-12-issue maxi-series from Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp was recently cut back from 12 issues to 6 issues. Mm Mm-hmm. Then, in the same week, it got changed from six issues to eight issues, and now, as of this weekend, it's back up to 12 issues. Hmm. I wonder if, in all that, literally, they were like, it's going to be six issues, like, they had a 12-issue maxi-series, and they're like, all right, we're just going to make it into two six-issue minis, like they almost kind of did with Wonder Twins there for a second, Mm -hmm. and then they were like, ah, just... Send it back to, you know, a maxi-series. Well, that's that's what they actually did. You know, initially, you know, you and I are not reading this. Mm-hmm. But the first series that they did, it seemed like it was an ongoing series. And then they're like, oh, no, it's a 12-issue maxi-series. And they gave them some time off in between season one and season two. And then, because season one was a 12-issue, season two was solicited as a 12-issue. Then, a month ago, it got changed to a six. Then a week later, it got changed to an 8, and now, as of this week, it's back up to a 12. 
Hmm. Oh, well, I, I, I know that's what you're saying. What I was trying to say is maybe they argued about it a little bit. And who knows now with, like, you know, editorial the way it is, you know, like anything can happen day now. Maybe they were just like, I go back to 12 because that's the way it was. And it doesn't, I don't know, you know, that's what we have it in the can as. Right. Try not to rock the boat too much when there's, you know, a lot of chaos around here. Right. It's it's not a book that either one of us are reading, but it's something that I want to mention, of course, just because I'm mm-hmm. sure people are reading it. And it's just odd that it keeps fluctuating in the length of the story. Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, some books, though, that are still on the slate, just being delayed. Uh, the usual suspects in the DC section... The Batman Rayshot Ghoul number five is delayed. Doom Patrol Way to the World's number seven is delayed. Legion of Superheroes number five is delayed. Uh, the biggies, though, would be that Birds of Prey number one from Warren Ellis that we had discussed at length on the show many, many times. Was that Azarello or Ellis? I'm sorry, Azarello. My apologies. Okay, no problem. Yes, thank you for correcting me. Yes. Uh, originally in October, now the end, it was then to be the end of January, now it's the first week of April. hmm And that was supposed to be, like, the ongoing, that was supposed to be out in October, and here we are, you know, it might be out in a month, the first right. issue. Which, like you said, we said is weird, like, you know, with the movie and everything you think you'd want. Maybe it'll be out for the DVD, Joe, who knows? Right. Uh, Inferior 5 has slipped yet again. <laughs> the first week of April, again, full uh, three months late at this point. Uh, issue six is still on the schedule for the 8th of April, but I can't uh, imagine that is going to hold fast and true. And th- these ones are always weird to me, and we mentioned them because we talked about one of them last week. The second printings of stuff. Right. Uh, the second printing of Batman 89 and Hell Arisen number three, those big money books featuring the <laughs> debut of the hit new character, Joker's daughter. I mean, punchline. Mm-hmm. Harley the Quinn second, done right. Harley Quinn done right. <laughs> uh, those have been delayed as well. And it's always weird to me that a second printing is being delayed. Um. Yeah, because it seems like... It seems like it should just be in the can with, like, you know, you're going to tweak the cover, like, just change the coloring. Because that's usually what they do when they want to do a quick turnaround on a second print. It's like, all right, to establish, easy establish a first from a second print, add a red hue to the background of the skyline in a second print, and then boom, it's real easy to know. But I don't know. I'm wondering if... uh, you know, there was just, uh, once again, editorial, you know, maybe there's, there, you know, everything's all messed up. I don't know. And, uh, of course, to for the interest of fair play, the uh, issues four and five of the J.J. Abrams Kids <laughs> Spider-Man book are still on the schedule for their projected dates of second week of April for issue four and last week of May for issue five. Uh Call me a cynic, if you will. I don't think uh, that issue five is coming out. That's right. And that has been another segment of Pennsylvania Joe and his late crusade. We <laughs> named the dog Pennsylvania. <laughs> so uh, something that I guess you had brought to my attention that kind of slipped through mm-hmm. um, was, I guess, Sean Gordon Murphy, who has been doing those White Knight books under yeah. the black label imprint. Right, like a, a, a different Batman continuity. Yeah, yes. I guess those are getting spun out of 
black uh black label yeah or they're going to be a black label title and it's just basically going to be him having his own universe to play in and basically writing what they would call like a writer's bible and then picking and choosing i guess the writers to do various miniseries while he's doing main stuff i guess like i guess this like really caught on and blew up um as i talked about before like i think it was last week we were talking about how harley quinn you were like oh we'll probably never see her in her own garb her original garb in the you know uh in the regular continuity books and i was like oh well, that whole thing that sh- that they did in white knight with harley quinn was really popular and i see that maybe coming around again this just shows like i really enjoyed that first mini and people loved it and the second people many people people are enjoying i have not read it yet because i'm just buying it all as one because i enjoyed the first one and s- i'm gonna sit down and read it but uh i guess it's it's really selling for dc or they wouldn't do everything that they're doing so good for him and i'll tell you i'll probably pick up a lot of these books that uh they do because i i like the the world that he built like this different batman world that he built right now that i'll say of course you know obviously it's going to cater to a specific um reader of batman who doesn't want to be bogged down in this current continuity and maybe has a flair for the 90s i guess uh a flair for something different but i think the other aspect of this is and you correct me if i'm wrong this seems to be books that are out on time yeah because it's written and drawn by him so he really doesn't have to you know be beholden anybody it they let him get i guess some in the the you know in the hopper to start the second mini so he has none of those books have been late that i know of they've all shipped on time or shipped within close to their their you know, on sale dates, you know what I mean? Like if they were off by a week, I wouldn't notice because in this world of, you know, double shipping Batman and flash and some books like immortal Hulk, it seems like we get one and then we get another one in two weeks. And then in three weeks, we have a third one. It really messes me up, but it always feels like the white Knight books are out. They hit their shot every month, you know? Right. Now, uh, another thing, of course, you know, kind of just some more follow-up in regards to all this Dan DiDio stuff, him being out as co-publisher, Jim Lee, I guess, not having a replacement named. I had several people contact me this week because, you know, we we don't deal in a rumor and innuendo here on the show, Mm -hmm. but we do our best to kind of address some of the bigger rumors And there were people out of the woodwork this past week contacting me. I guess there were some really heavy rumors that, based on what's going on, that DC is going to be sold off by AT&T slash Warner. And you know where all that came from? One creator. Hmm. Honest to God, every interview that I've seen, that comes from a certain creator who drew a lot of... uh, uh, A lot of Green Lantern stuff during, like, the... uh, uh, and maybe had a amphibian comic book that was also a robot, if you know what I mean. Okay, I got you. Know, you. Are you afraid to say Ethan Van Skyver's name? No, I'm not, but I don't okay. know how we played the game on the show sometimes. He basically <laughs> came out and said, um, yes, that it's going to be sold off. And a lot of people came out and said, well, you know, he said a lot of things and, you know, the, his politics or whatever, had a, maybe had a falling out at DC or whatever, and he's just got sour grapes. But... I don't think it will ever, I'm not saying it won't happen because I never thought uh, X-Men and Fantastic Four would go back to Marvel. So that's, I'm never going to say never, but I think there's too much money 
to be made. It's this whole thing that DC comics are losing money. And I'm maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I don't have the numbers and the spreadsheets in front of me, but it's all free uh, stories and IP for your movies. It's that's it's, Whoever's going to have it, if they do sell it, it'll be, you know, to somebody else. But this rumor, the big rumor is that it's going to get sold to Marvel or something like that or Disney. And, like, that's not happening. Right. That's never going to happen in a million years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two things that I said. One, here's a direct quote from Jim Lee from C2E2, his spotlight panel from this past weekend. Quote, we've been with Warner Brothers for decades. The actual strategy for DC is to put publishing at center of what we do. It's the engine of all the movies, TV, cartoons, everything we do. It is my intent going forward as the publisher to lean into the collective years of my team. To address some of the stuff that's out there, these rumors, speculation, I wish you said innuendo, I wouldn't put any credence in it. DC has been around for 85 years and will be around for at least another 85 more. Mm-hmm. It's hard to talk about things we haven't announced. Uh, intention not to do a line-wide reboot. Uh, our folks in talking to editorial team is to continue what we've done best. Character-driven stories. Pairing right creator and right characters. And developing characters that are inclusive and diverse. Mm-hmm. I say, and I say, this was before his thing at C2E2 and all these people were coming to me. I said, DC is currently putting out on average 60 solo titles a book or a month. Mm -hmm. When you see that number drop drastically, then it's time to panic. Like if they go from 60 to 55, okay. If over the course of a year, they've gone from 60 to 30. Or over the course of a month, they go from 60 to 30. Maybe it might be time to start panicking. And I'm I'm with you. But you remember when we were doing, like, I don't know how many episodes ago, when we actually went through the previews and yep. they were dropping dramatically, yep. the books? I don't know. that. I think that's probably where a lot of it started. But I don't know. I just don't see, uh, like, I don't know how it all works with AT&T. Maybe they will sell off Warner Brothers. But Warner Brothers, who owns, like, you know, there's, like, the, the layers upon layers of what owns everybody. But Warner Brothers is going to keep DC Comics. And, and do because they, they have a movie company, a TV company, and that's all, that's all great. Now, would I say maybe AT&T would sell off Warner Brothers? That's a possibility. But... I don't know where they're going to sell it. That's that's the only thing that that I can think of. Right. And just for a little bit more uh, from C2E2 this past weekend and a little bit more on maybe where things might be going with The Flash, amongst other things, including 5G, I'm going to throw things over to Jeremy Dennis of Transmissions Podcasts, who was at C2E2, and has reports from the DC panels and that interview with Joshua Williamson. Hi, Joe and Todd. This is Jeremy Dennis from the Transmissions Podcast at transmissionspodcast.com. I wanted to give you guys a C2E2 report because uh, my target audience on transmissions are fans of Transformers, and there really wasn't a lot of Transformers news at C2E2. But There was a lot of DC news, and that's another area of interest for me. 
So I thought I would give you um, some notes I, I took from the DC Nation panel and then also uh, the DC Universe panel. And then uh, DC also set me up with an interview with Joshua Williamson, who is the writer on Flash and Batman Superman. And I thought I would, you know, let you guys play that audio on the show as well. So the DC Nation panel had Tom King, Mitch Gerards, and Doc Shaner from the new Strange Adventures book. Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo um, from the young adult Teen Titans, uh, Beast Boy, and Raven graphic novels. Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor from the Harley Quinn Black Label book. And Joe Hill from Hill House Comics and Lock and Key, etc., etc. With the Strange Adventures book, Tom King was um, describing it as trying to say something about the you know current times with this older character and showing like a conflict between lie and the truth. Uh, and Doc Shaner's art in the book is going to be the lie side of things, and Mitch Gerard's is going to be the truth side of things. And uh, the art looks really good. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Tom King. Uh, but you know, Mr. Miracle was good and this seems to be kind of in that vein and not the heroes in crisis. Let's screw up everyone's favorite characters. Uh, on the Harley Quinn book, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor said they weren't planning on coming back to the character, but, uh, black label meant that they could do whatever they wanted. And at this point, Tom King made a joke that, Oh, the publisher uh, said you could do whatever you want, and now he's been fired. And everyone got a laugh. They didn't actually mention the deal by name, but you know, it, it, someone had to get a joke in, I'm sure. Uh, and they, they said that this book takes place six hours after their last book ended. So if you are a fan of their Harley Quinn run, uh, this will definitely be something you want to pick up. Uh, with the Hill House comics, um, Joe Hill described it as basically being uh, Bloomhouse movies in comic form. Uh, it seems to me that they're pretty happy with it. I know they gave out some free um, copies of some of the Hill House books. Uh, but through through this, he and Tom King started talking about like people's I guess, scariest clowns, you know, everything from Pennywise to the Joker and stuff. But then Tom King mentioned that Ronald McDonald probably has killed more people than any of these other clowns. And he's probably right. But then they started just kind of like going back and forth with an idea of uh, burger franchise mascots and, uh, the the hidden origin of the Burger King and uh, Tom King's theory would be that it would be, it was mayor McCheese who got, who was about to lose an election, got fed up with democracy, decided to become a dictator, took over everything and dubbed himself the Burger King. And I, I would definitely read that comic that would never happen because of licensing and everything. But if you could get Burger King, McDonald's, and hey, even Wendy's, and you know some of the other brands to work together, 
that would be a hilarious comic. Uh, but I wanted to move on to the DC Universe panel real quick. Um, this was hosted by Sam Humphreys. Uh, he mentioned they're going to be coming to a lot of conventions this year. Um, you know, outside of the big ones like San Diego and WonderCon and stuff, they're going to like FanX Dallas, um, Emerald City, obviously. Uh, but it seems like they're making it more of a, an effort to get out there, particularly to promote the DC Universe app. And Todd, they're going to be bringing pins. They have uh, exclusive pins that they're going to have at each of these locations. I will say that their pin game at C2E2 was not as strong as New York Comic Con because I believe those were enamel pins and these would be more described as just your typical buttons. But, you know, I didn't get a single sticker from DC, so there's that. Uh, then uh, they did bring up Jim Lee, who was announced as publisher and chief creative officer of DC. And he had another panel that I didn't make it to uh, where I, I'm sure he, he talked about, about the situation a little bit more as much as he could. Uh, at this panel, they were talking about this uh, contest that, or I guess reality show that they had on the DC universe app where fans got to pitch series and they picked three winners and they were talking about the winners. Scott Snyder came up. Um, there's one called Arkham Escape. And essentially, it's like an escape room type thing. And Scott Snyder is a creative consultant, basically, to make sure, I guess, the uh, the comic stuff is correct. Um, they're trying to make it accessible for non-comic fans, but have things that if you are a comic fan, you'll notice and um, increase your enjoyment. Um, so all, all of these shows are kind of in production. I'm imagining they're going to come out later this year. Uh, and then they um, demoed the full screen. They called it couch mode, reading comics on your TV. I'm not sh sure the big deal about it. it. It It's basically the the guided view like Comixology has, but you can do it on the app on your TV. And it just, I don't know. I don't get it. But then we were treated to uh, episode one of season two of the Harley Quinn series. I have not seen any of that series and I didn't really think it would be something I would enjoy, but this episode we got to see was a lot of fun. So I might go back and binge it. Uh, obviously I won't say any spoilers because I don't even know when season two comes out, but I would think it's not going to be for a little while, but it was, it was fun, uh, completely bonkers and completely not for kids. So. And uh, I guess I want to wrap this up by um, playing the interview I, I had with Joshua Williamson. This was uh, a lot of fun. I was not really expecting to be to get an interview when I responded to their email, but I'm very grateful that DC set this up. Um, I enjoyed talking with Joshua Williamson. I have been a fan of his Flash run since uh, it started, and you know, as someone that came back on board during rebirth, uh, it, it's awesome that he is one of the, the final, um, writers standing that have been writing ever since rebirth on the same title and he's still going strong. So that that's awesome. So here's the interview. I'm here with Joshua Williamson, 
writer on DC's The Flash, Batman, Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done things like uh, Justice League, No Justice. Yeah, number of other stuff. I've worked on a lot of event stuff. Yeah, yeah, a lot of big event stuff. Um, but with Flash, you mm-hmm. are at eighty-eight. Just came out. Recently. Yeah, I've actually written way more than that. But yeah, yeah. Um, and I was doing as I was prepping, I was doing some checking, and Mark Wade did ninety four. You're yeah creeping up onto his well, legendary run. Uh, technically, I've written ninety nine because I'm ahead. So I've I've written yeah. up to issue. I've I've written ninety nine issues if you include the annual and you include oh. the um, the prelude. Um, oh. When it comes to like the actual run of the book, um, not counting annuals, not counting yeah. the prelude, the next issue I'm writing is ninety six. So I'm already I'm already yeah. past that, but I'm I'm like obsessed with uh, the Flash, and so yeah. I'm I'm well aware. Uh, yeah. The person I'll never beat is uh, Carrie Bates. Like right. you know, he was on the book for like ten years, on <laughs> yeah. and off. Like there's like a couple little gaps. Wade had like a year gap in the middle. It was um, Grant Morrison and Mark mm-hmm. uh, Millar did it in the middle, and then uh, but Jeff's had a, he had a consecutive run of sixty two issues. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I've, yeah. I've 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 passed all that. Stuff. You have the benefit of double shipping. Yeah, or benefit, and I guess it's a a little bit, you know, hectic. You're having to write, you know, two issues a month. Yeah, I mean, I basically have been writing the Flash like uh, nonstop for uh, four and a half years now. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been a, it's a lot of fun though. I'm I'm very happy with it. I'm yeah, very and lucky. Uh, Howard Porter has done most of the art with you on that. Yeah, he's done a lot of. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, he might have been the artist that's done the most. Maybe I think uh, Rafa Sandoval has probably okay. done a lot. Uh, Carmen did a few. Um, Christian Duce did a bunch. But I mean, I've been really lucky with all the artists I've I've worked mm-hmm. with, but. Howard's definitely done some of the bigger stuff because he did Flash War. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the he basically did the button Flash War Year One, and now he's doing some of the stuff that we're we're doing now with um, this paradox storyline we're doing. Yeah. It's called um, Flash Age. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I, I reread the button last night, mm-hmm. and it was I think my first introduction of you writing Batman was mm-hmm. the button, and I just love how you have like the scientist and the detective mm-hmm. working together. It's not your typical, you know. Fisticuffs superhero story. They're, yeah. they're, you know, you get you get that you get the whole you know um, going through the time stream and all that. But it's also you know Barry's a CSI and he's yeah. doing his thing. They're science bros. Yeah, like I've, I've always felt that the two guys, you know, they, they had that kind of relationship where they would talk about crime scenes and talk mm-hmm. about the science of of these things. And they also had. Uh, you know their their obsessions with justice. Their different interpretations right. of justice. They they have a lot of things they can talk about. And they have the the shared history of parents being murdered. Yeah, and, yeah. Know. I mean, for Barry, obviously, that's a little bit later. Right. <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, they have these things in common. I always found that relationship to be fascinating. That was why, at the end of the rebirth issue, that was um, which is the first issue that was published that I did for Flash. That's why the ending has the two of them together because I always found the relationship to be very interesting, and we had not really explored it a lot. Cool. Um, I, one thing I, I like, and we talked about this before we started recording, is like you you've been working with a bunch of the big events, mm-hmm. and you said you you talk to like Scott Snyder every day, and yeah, you know how is it? How, what is your what is your collaborative process like working on these these bigger stories, making sure your stuff you know ties in you know pretty well with the event? Uh, it's funny people will say if they're in the room with uh, with Scott James and I, it's hard to keep up. Like we have um, a language that we use. We all, it's weird. Like they'll watch us and they're like, what are they talking about? But we have this shorthand because we know each other for so long. And we, I mean, like like Scott, I probably talk to, he and I will message each other every day. We we probably actually get on the phone maybe once a week. But James, I talk to every day. I mean, James is, 
it's funny, there are times, and I was just joking at the table, but it's true, there are times where James is the first person I talk to in the morning, he's the last <laughs> person I talk to at night. Um, it'll be like really late at night, and, I, and I've, I've literally been like, good night, and then like, you know, six hours later, been like, good morning. Like, it's, <laughs> That's... you know, we, we, and we bounce ideas back and forth, we share scripts, we talk a lot, and we all kind of come at things from similar angles, but not completely, yeah. uh, which I think is a good thing. It's not like we all are on the same page every time. Um, you know, and we're able to share ideas, bounce things back and forth, and debate, and we we build off each other. So it's like even if we don't agree on something, those disagreements sometimes, often, often will lead to another story, a bigger thing. And yeah. we just, you know, it, even it, last night, Scott and I were uh, riffing. It's a Bob Harris thing; he always calls it riffing. But we uh, <laughs> we were riffing with each other, just talking about stuff and being like, "Oh, if this happens, what if this happens?" Like it's yeah. it's a lot of that between the, uh, the three of us. And uh, but we've been doing that for years now. Like oh. I. Yeah, just sharing ideas. Is it ever stuff. something like you, you don't you, you like an idea, but you, it won't fit, and you just pocket it and bring it back later in some other? I mean, you kind of bring everything to the table to talk about, it, yeah. but there are times where it's like this is something I want to do, you know. Right. And, and there's things that you know Scott will want to do or James want to do, and um, you know we're always trying to like one up each other a little mm-hmm. bit and just trying to just bounce things back and forth. But I mean, you know, if you're if you're like this is mine, I. I don't think we really do that. I think there's stuff that we're honest with each other. We're like, well, I want to write this. Like, there's times yeah. where James and I will be talking, and, and uh, I'll be like, well, I have this idea for this. And he'll be like, oh, yes, you should do that. But, oh, I want to yeah. do that. And it's I'm like, like you got mine. dibs. Yeah, I got dibs. I got dibs. We call yeah. dibs on stuff all the time. It's pretty funny. We'll be yeah. bouncing ideas around, and one of us will be like, well, that's mine. I'm doing that. I'm writing that part. Awesome. Um, with your, your Flash story, you, you mm-hmm. recently just wrapped up a big arc with, you know, uh, it tied into the Justice League event with Perpetua and all that, but yeah. you had it, yours was basically Captain Cold took the the gift that Luther gave him and basically was just doing his own thing yeah. in Central City, um, and like Barry and I guess through proxy like um, Wallace and Avery, mm-hmm. they've all been through the ringer. Yeah, um, what I don't know. It, it seems like. I, I I know that this is all with all superhero books, but like the the heroes never seem to to get a chance to breathe. I <laughs> I know I've had is this it, conversation with them. I mean, especially yeah. now, like the book definitely moves fast, really, really splash. quickly. Yeah, and I and I know well. Part of this, I'm obsessed with cliffhangers, and, mm-hmm. I, and I love that momentum of things, you know. And I don't yeah. necessarily, especially now with where I'm in the book. Now it's like I don't want him to catch his breath. Like right. I want him to keep it. It going. keeps the pressure yeah. up. Well, even, you know, at the end of that arc, it was, like, the end of the Rogue's Reign arc, he, he has this moment where he's on the couch with Iris, and you can, he thinks he's, like, all right, cool. And then the Flash from the Future comes back and is, like, nope. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, there's more coming for you. And and uh, there's I'm always building to something else. Like, every story always builds to the next one. And, yeah. and even this one with Paradox, I mean, one of the things that happens in this is that we've been building for the last two years, we've been building in the book that Paradox was going to come eventually. Um, and the only person who's ever beat Paradox was Reverse Flash. He was the only one at one point in the future before Reverse Flash died. Um, he had fought Paradox and beat him. And uh, so during that storyline, you know, Barry uh, makes the decision to like get Reverse Flash's help to stop Paradox. But then that leads to other things, right? right. So it's like the moment that Flash Age ends, that we immediately jump into another story right after that. And I, I, but I, I don't know. I, I, I like doing that. Yeah. I'm at a zone in that book where that's going to be how the book is. Yeah, I, uh, I love your like. I heard you in another interview say basically mm-hmm. you are building this long continuous story. I, I love. Yeah. I love that because so many books now are just you know they get cut off like midstream like the book sales aren't good and they just get canceled and I just love that you've had this 
you know, long, you know, really nice arc. If you, when you read um, 750, there's uh, two stories I did in 750. One is with, um, it's Barry and Iris um, and talking about um, what the Flash means to people. Um, and then there's another story with Jake Garrick and it's, um, but they're related. Like if you look at the two stories, you could read them individually, but they are definitely connected. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a, a clue to both of them. And that clue goes all the way back to Flash number nine. Like you can see there's actually a connection between these three stories okay. and a little bit with the Flash rebirth issue. And what I'm kind of starting to do now is I'm starting to be like, there has been something happening in this book the entire time, but we never directly pointed a finger at it. People were picking it up bits and pieces mm-hmm. but I think by the time you get to 5, 7, 50 you're going to be like oh that's what's happening and then you're going to see that, that really I've, I've been telling a big story that goes back to the beginning of my run and even ties all the way back to uh, Return of Barry Allen that uh, Mark Wade did Greg Rook they're all connected cool. so uh, you'll see it's, this, yeah. it's this, a really big story that I've been uh, building the book and yeah I'm lucky I get to do that I'm lucky yeah. I got to do this crazy big thing yeah I, I love yeah. that time like have storytelling where you know oh, me too. just like yeah, there, there's a story within the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter David was like that a lot. You know, yeah. you go back and look at like his X Factor. I mean, Mark Wade was like that a lot in Flash, yeah. and so was Jeff. Um, Peter David would do that on like Hulk and X Factor mm-hmm. and Aquaman, where you'd be like, he would drop these little hints. And Grant was like, Grant's like that too, where he'll drop yeah. something and then pick it up like years later. Yeah. Um, Jeff does it a lot. Jeff does uh, kick. It's, it's we we call it kicking it down the field. You introduce something that you can pick up yeah. down the field later. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then also you are doing Batman Superman, which is a lot of fun. Um, it ties into the infected storyline. Mm-hmm. And um, what kind of difficulties does that book have? I mean, Flash, you pretty much have, you have the rogues. You have, you know, yeah, your, I'm able to play your a lot pick of, of, you know, any number of things. Batman Superman, I imagine you're a little bit more constrained in, in who you can use and stuff. Oh, yeah. The, the biggest challenge it's, of Batman and Superman um, Especially once we got past the first arc, because the first arc was all about the infected and it was right. setting up Ha and then leading things into death metal and, and carrying some of the Batman who last stuff forward. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, one of the biggest challenges has been uh, villains, because so yeah. many villains, you know, they're tied into the perpetual stuff with Legion of Doom, um, and then just in general, you're the villain. And so that's why, um, you know, I went and I got Zod and Raish and, and yeah. tied them together and did stuff with them, and then this this. Next one we're doing after that has the Ultra Humanite in it because uh, I, I've always liked that villain. Um, That's one that almost never gets used. He <laughs> never gets used. He's yeah. such a cool villain. Uh, he has some of my favorite... Uh, this actually yeah. just came up recently, too. My favorite stories of DC are, are Golden Age, which is mm-hmm. Ultra Humanite. Spoilers, in case I'm going to that before. Um, and then JSA. Yeah. Like, he was a uh, you know really big villain in the JSA uh, run that Jeff did. Cool. Uh, and how much advance notice do you get if like the main series that you're working, you're tying on Mm-hmm. Has a change that impacts your book? Is that like you know? By you know, the way, or? I've been pretty lucky that nothing that bad has happened like that, where I've had somebody come at me and throw too much at me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely had moments, but I, I feel like I had enough warning. I had enough warning to kind of make it um, make it work if yeah. I needed to, and make it part of the story. It's part of the puzzle. Like I love puzzles. Yeah. You know, I love. Um, yeah, I, I, I just love puzzles and stuff like that, and, and I like figuring things out. I feel like I'm a problem solver. So when they come at me with things like that, where it is like you have to tie into the story, or you need to use this, or you know we're introducing this new story over here, and this character is going to have this happen to them, um, yeah. 
I, I think it's part of the fun of the job and it's part of the fun of comics is to be able to, okay, how do I make this work? And um, I, I actually really like doing that. It stretches your, your writing muscles to well, to know, figure out that puzzle. Yeah, writing comics is, is there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else yeah. like that because you know if you write a novel, it's just it's just you. You're in a TV yeah. show. But with this, you're you're writing a small piece of a huge universe. I'm sorry. Oh, you're writing a small piece of a huge universe. Yeah. And as part of that there comes different challenges. Uh, cool. but I love it. I love it. All right, well thanks. Uh, and can you give any other hints on what's coming up in the flash what we can expect I mean, you can, I mean I think people if you're, yeah, you're figuring out you know we're, we're definitely bringing um, reverse flash back from the dead and he's yeah. coming back into the story in a really big way and um, there'll be a lot of ramifications for him uh, returning and, and what it means to Barry because you know he's definitely mm-hmm. Barry's uh, greatest enemy yeah. you know and, and there's definitely a connection there but I, I wanted to I I have one I, you know when I did running scared I had something I really wanted to say about uh, Eobard mm-hmm. and I have one more thing I want to say about him and, and, and to talk about his relationship with Barry and um, that's going to be a, a major thing next after Flash Age is dealing with what uh, he wants to do. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. a lot for thank your you. time. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much. Jeremy, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy convention schedule to do that for us. And uh, that is something that Jeremy did out of the goodness of his heart. He is a longtime fan. Uh, he is. Uh, he was a day one patron uh, of the show over on our Patreon. Uh, and his transformers podcast that he does transmissions is fantastic you could follow jeremy on twitter at yakko and that's with a zero dot org spelled out with a dot and uh transmissions is trns missions uh for all your transformers need we are woefully void of transformers stuff on this show jeremy does more than enough to cover all those transformer bases for pretty much everyone and he's a long box heroes fledgling reporter, uh, Lewis Lane. Now, I guess. Did we? Was that something we talked about at the shop? No, that, that was something someone's we, name was going to be Lewis Lane. Yes, that was uh, when we were doing Simpsons trivia. That uh, Matt Groening had the idea that comic book shop guy was going to his his name was going to be Lewis Lane, and that's why he was always so angry because it was you know just a funny take on the thing. But he wasn't in the writers' room when they decided to whatever was it Albertson. Yes, and they were like they just put it out there, and it was just a throwaway gag. It was like blah blah blah, and my name is this by the way. And then like Matt Groening came into the office, I guess, and said like, oh like I had a name and it was this. But we just didn't click, and now it's this forever. So it's not like you can't change names on The Simpsons, I guess, right? I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, like I said, thanks to uh, Jeremy for that report from C2E2. Uh, there are some conventions happening this weekend, and, of course, the links to those will be in the show notes. Uh, all over the United States and all over the world, uh, right here in uh, jolly old America, the Clarksville Convention in Clarksville, Indiana. Uh, Fabian Nicenza, Jim Shooter, Greg the Hammer Valentine, hey. and Coco Beware will be there. I want to catch the last train to Clarksville for that one. Mm-hmm. I bet you that's the. I bet you that's Coco's real bird, though. <laughs> that's probably his real bird. That's not the original Frankie, but it's definitely his real bird. <laughs> Uh, San Diego Comic Fest, not to be confused with San Diego Comic Con, uh, sees Bill Sienkiewicz, J.M., uh, J. Michael Straczynski, Liam Sharp, and Marv Wolfman come into town. And you know, uh, you are a true comic book person when you know how to spell Bill Sienkiewicz's last name, as well as Fabian Nicenza's name. 
I like that the bassist uh, can, he just goes, it's like Sinkevich, how do you spell it? And he just goes, bang. He just writes out, he goes, I have too many eBay auctions that I have to do for the store <laughs> with his <laughs> name. So I have it, I have it down pat. Right. You don't want to be second guessing yourself on that one. <laughs> right. Especially when a misspelled word in an eBay auction could drive the price way down, you know? Well, that's why in the eBay auction, you put in not only the correct spelling, but the multiple incorrect spellings gets that gets searched out as much. Ah, the uh, muting hashtag Joe Sposto scenario. I got it. All yes. the misspelled hashtags. Got it. So uh, around the world, uh, Supernova Con in Melbourne, Australia, uh, James O'Barr, uh, Kevin Eastman, Freddie Williams, uh, Nic- Nicholas Scott, Tom Taylor, and George Lazenby is going to be there, Todd. Oh, uh, the the good James Bond. I was going to say my James Bond. Thank you very much. The one, the the James Bond who did it right. Yep. There was some movie that came out around the same time as uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was a Bond knockoff that was starring Sean Connery's brother. Really. And in the movie, they refer to him as our top agent's brother. Whoa. Whoa. I, and I'm just going to say that uh, her ma- on Her Majesty's Secret Service uh, is a great James Bond movie. He gets a lot of flack because he was a jerk. But, man, there's uh, my favorite part of that movie is when he looks directly into the camera and, like, basically winks and goes, this would have never happened to the other guy. And I was like, wow, I love that. Okay. So the name of the the only reason that I know that it exists mm-hmm. is because they did it on an episode of Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> right. The name of the movie is Operation Double Double O Seven. <laughs> oh my god, that's fantastic. And now like I know we don't go down rabbit holes on the show where we try not to. I want to find the movie that where uh, Dean Martin was a secret agent and he had a gun that shot seven seconds or ten seconds after you pulled the trigger. That was the gimmick. Mm. Oh my god, good stuff. Uh some of the other alternate titles that this movie was released under mm-hmm. were Operation Kid Brother. and okay connery starring (laughs) neil connery (laughs) and then like a whole bunch of like oh here's a person who played this person in one james bond movie like that sort of thing oh now i kind of want to watch that movie yeah that's fantastic and secret agent double o was another uh title of this movie from 1967 it was an italian james bond knockoff Maybe that'll be some sort of Patreon tier down the road somewhere. Oh, and I guess it was the Matt Helm series that uh, Dean Martin did as uh, a secret agent. So sounds like it would be a fun. Yeah, let's just get all the all the the, the stupid spy movies someday. But anyway, maybe, maybe. And then lastly, uh, if you are speaking about, uh, you know, the greats of uh, the UK, Comic Con Liverpool is this weekend as well. Uh, not as many comic book folks. It looks like John McRae is the only big name one there. Uh, but if you wanted to meet Mickey Rourke, Laurie Petty, Peter Cullen, Frank Welker for a little Transformers crossover, and Steve Gutenberg, that's your place. The real uh, Tank Girl is going to be there. That's what I like. I want to meet Laurie Petty someday. Is there a new Tank Girl being made, or was there a new Tank Girl being made? I'm not aware of this. I only know of the real Tank Girl, so I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe there is. Maybe there's going to be like a, a Netflix or a Hulu's uh, Tank Girl. They're making everything out of comics these days, Joe. I don't know if you heard. That's true. So if you have a whole bunch of very famous and well-known properties, you should sell them now for pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. And get James Bond's or uh, Sean Connery's third cousin to be in them. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, just to kind of close out the convention segment, and we did mention it last week, um, this week we have these conventions, as mentioned, next week was supposed to be the official start of the convention season with Emerald City Comic Con. Um, C2E2 gotten moved up so they can kind of piggyback on the All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view. That's the reason why. And uh, it has been coming out as we are recording this, getting live updates from our our roving reporters that uh, many creators and publishers are pulling out of conventions for the month of March. Right. Um, Dark Horse, Penguin, uh, Random House, and DC uh, have all officially pulled out of uh, Emerald City Comic Con. DC officially pulling out of all conventions. Like anything that they're going to have. And yes, of course, you can say when there's smoke, there's fire. Of course, you know, they're going to kind of want to pull out while they're trying to reassess whatever they're doing in the light of the recent Dan DiDio thing. But again, if they were the only ones doing it, I could see. Um, But again, like I said, Justin Jordan, uh, just looking at the list of creators that I see here, Stuart Moore, uh, Kate Kate Leth uh, on the list of things, Jim Zub and uh, John Lehman. Mm -hmm. Uh, are all actual folks in and around that area uh, that are saying that more than likely, as of today, they are not going to be attending uh, Emerald City Comic Con, even though they already had, like, flights and hotels paid for and ready to go. Right, which I know there's some, like you said, creators that live in the area that aren't going. That actually shocks me. I get flying because, you know, you're on a tube, you know, with uh, non-circulated air with, you know, 100 people or whatever. And if you're out of the country, we discussed that last week, you know, uh, just like they could just stop flights at any time. You'd be stuck out of the country. But this really made me think because like one of our, you know, people that informed us, as you said, one of our roving reporters was asking me, he's like, what do you think of cons this year? Because we go. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I have a feeling I'm going to be saving a lot of money on comic book stuff at conventions this year, because I don't know how long this can go on. Um, but we'll see, you know, by the time we get to New York and Baltimore with the big ones that I go to, um, I don't do a lot in the middle of the summer, but we have San Diego and stuff like that. I, I'm not nervous about the virus. I'm nervous that I won't get my couple of vacations that I only do this year. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, as we have this information, of course, you know, we, we try to kind of talk about the conventions because I'm a big comic book convention guy. I wish I got a chance to get out to more of them. But I know a lot of people that listen to the shows are as well. And just in case you were planning, uh, you know, doing anything, going anything and, you know, Emerald City themselves, if you follow them on social media, you'll see that they're doing what they can um about this they're saying as of today they are still planning um the united the epa emerging pathogen policy regarding cleaning and disinfectants um will be closely worked with and closely guarded and you know um adhered to at the convention 
Um, and they're like, for more information about more, uh, you know, what's going on in Washington and Seattle, I guess there was a couple outbreaks there recently. And, you know, they're doing what they can to be as forthcoming about this as possible. Right. But can you have a con if nobody shows up, Joe? Well, you know, there's a uh, talk as things go on with, you know, we, we, I think this actually started with us two weeks ago where there was a couple creators from Italy that had canceled because of this. Right. Right. And, you know, Emerald City is a big one. And depending on how things go, I certainly hope there's a light at the end of the tunnel on this just for people's general health and safety. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, as we know things, as we do the show, we'll pass that information along to you as well. Exactly. Uh, so, as I mentioned, all of this information will be in the show notes, of course, the links to these conventions this weekend, as well as information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-namednetwork.com, soon-to-be-namednetwork.tumblr.com, where you could find this and all the other shows in our network of friends and family and associates and so forth, ne'er-do-wells, who put out podcasts or appear on podcasts or what have you, uh, whether it be this show, as mentioned, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, where there's more coronavirus talk there. <laughs> Someone told me that on... And this is why I don't trust podcatchers. I just want to throw that out there. Some of your bigger podcatchers that are going to go unnamed have it built in that they are behind the scenes transcribing your show. So if people go on that podcatcher and search like a word or a phrase, mm-hmm. and you've said that word or phrase many times on your show, not even putting it in the show description, just set it in the body of the show, right. the podcatcher will pull that in their search. That's how deep their search is getting. Ooh. And you like that or you don't like that? I don't like that. Why you think they're think the government's spying on us, Joe? I think everyone's spying on everyone in this digital age. Mm-hmm. But um, I want copies of those transcripts sent to me. Oh, as long as we don't get the transcripts of the uh, the hot mics and it's all cut out, you know that's the stuff you want, Joe. Right, that's the incriminating stuff. Right. Uh, but other shows in the network, of course, being Profane Arguments, Puzzle Warriors Three, Final Wrestling Place, which had a a rant and a grudge <laughs> held some 16 years on that warmed my heart. <laughs> and uh, at odds with wrestling, of course, big, big things happening on a special episode of that coming up in May. You wait and see what I got planned there. Uh, and can't wait to read this transcription of that. Oh, boy. I'll be I'll be writing it down feverishly as it's happening live and I'll email mm. it to you. Right. And uh, I was on the uh, most recent episode of Wednesday Night War, along with uh, DJ and Brett and our good friend Doug, talking about the aforementioned All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view. Oh, you didn't save it for your podcast? No, I, 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 I left my house to go watch the pay-per-view, mm-hmm. and they record like a reaction show after they, you know, watch into the AEW or NXT stuff. Mm-hmm. And since there is no award-winning All Elite Wrestling Network, you have to get it on, like, real pay-per-view. Right. Um, and we kind of talk about that, and it brings back that that communal experience of getting together and watching a wrestling pay-per-view with a group of people. The WWE Network has kind of isolated everyone, and, you know, I'm everyone watches, and they follow along and they chat with multiple people and their friends and 
Twitter or Discord or other forms of social media. But nothing beats getting together with people in an actual room and like, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how real viruses spread when that, wrestling fans get together. Ugh. That is true. DJ does have a lot of cats and dogs, so that is an mm. issue. And a lot of Purell just being sprayed through a hose. And, uh, you know, anytime those shows appear uh, up or anytime any of the folks of those shows appear on any other shows and they let me know or the shows are easily searchable, it'll be up at soon to be named network dot com, soon to be named network dot tumblr dot com. So also over those show notes are a couple of digital sales and freebies that are still holding true. Those Marvel digital freebies have been the same ones for the last three weeks. So it looks like that problem has been fixed. Uh, sales on Dynamite Vampirella and Image Sci-Fi stuff is nearing an end, but new sales this week is DC's finest, Tom King sale. You really can't go wrong with some of those earlier issues of his Batman run, as well as uh, Mr. Miracle, which was really, really good, I'd say. And, uh, you know, people liked uh, Omega Men. You can get the Omega Men 12 issue, kind of like the thing that put Tom King on the map. You can get that 12-issue miniseries for six bucks. That's like 50 cents an issue. That's a good deal. That is not bad. And uh, Marvel is having a sale. It just says Magic Sale. And I don't think they're selling those uh, The Gathering trading cards. It's, it's all related to that new... Uh, what's the... The new Doctor Strange school book thing that's yeah, coming out. Isn't it like Sorcerer's Academy or something like that? Yeah, something Strange like that. Academy up, yeah, up Strange the, Academy. Up, yeah, Strange Academy. Yeah. But up there's the like strange. lots of Alpha Flight in that sale. So if you're an Alpha Flight completist, and I know there's at least two of you out there, mm-hmm. and maybe at least one that listens to this show, uh, Alpha Flight digital sale. Now you don't have to lug all those. Uh, uncollected untraded single issues around you can get them all digitally for a uh, a handsome price i wonder if there's a big heavy uh alpha flight omnibus that you don't want to carry you could get them digitally and help your back out i wonder but right now those are the digital sales links to those in the show notes Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. What would you like to start with? Because I know we read both things. All right. I'm going to start with Suicide Squad number three, written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo. Basically, this lets up after the Suicide Squad has gone in to remove somebody out of uh, a small third world country president and put their own candidate in and things go sideways with the new group that they've integrated into the suicide squad that has no love they have no love for each other and we slowly find out the reasoning that this other team is doing stuff and they now have a way to communicate without being heard by the uh, implants that they have in their body being eavesdropped on and they're like we're gonna take things down from the other inside because this new lock guy who has replaced Amanda Waller, the wall is maybe not working for the government. Um, I'm really enjoying this book. I, um, they did something with the dynamic between Finn and the shark here that I don't think is over. And that's my favorite part of the book. Um, but all in all, this is a beautiful looking book. Um, and now uh, they've turned things on their head because I thought the villains, you know, were very dirt baggy uh, from the beginning. Now it seems like maybe that, you know, maybe we're going to have to be the good guys for a while. And uh, I don't know. I'm really, in, I'm really enjoying this book. So I'll say I like this book. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, with a Suicide Squad, it's one of those things where you never know what to expect. Right. Uh, it's the ultimate subvert your expectations book because you're introduced to a team and people could die at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's more to tell with this story, but I feel as though to get the real brevity of this, you need to read these first three issues together as one collected story. Okay. To here's who we think the Suicide Squad is, our familiar faces of the DC Universe. Here's a bunch of new characters that now need to work with these folks. A bunch of people still die. And now, by the third issue, Tom Taylor has done a great job of working their relationships in with each other. Not overburdening you, the reader, with tons of new information about tons of new characters. And I have to give Tom Taylor and, I assume, Bruno Redondo credit for attempting to create new characters Mm -hmm. you don't see new characters being created as often especially for the big companies because they don't end up owning them joe yeah so you'll see you know kind of a pastiche of someone or it's like oh what if damage had a different helmet on or something like that you know right and let's bring out the d-listers you know (laughs) right right like oh is this a new character just someone that no one's heard of in 40 years and i put like a fresh coat of paint on him and now Mm -hmm. he's my character essentially because no one's done anything with him in 40 years yep and then he does in this issue alone, what like three like twists? Yep. That don't feel out of nowhere. That don't feel like twists for twists' sake, but are I would say earned in the short run that this book has been going on for. Yep. It's like it. it yes, they're definitely they definitely feel very very natural. It's not like you're like oh where did this come from? It's like Bing Bang Boom, and you're like oh okay, I'm in for the ride now. Right. Now, one thing that I do want to say, and I'm only, I don't, I have nothing to base this on, and I'm just asking a question. Right. It feels as though, and there's no shame in doing this, there was a Harley Quinn movie that came out that had Birds of Prey related stuff in it. Mm -hmm. Harley Quinn was in the Suicide Squad movie. Harley Quinn is kind of written out by page five of this issue. Right. Do we know if she's in the rest of this run? I don't know. But what I do know is, Joe, Mm -hmm. that at the end of this issue, there is a next issue blurb, and it says this, boomerangs always come back. So I don't care if Harley Quinn's in this issue next month, because I have a feeling Captain Boomerang is going to be in this issue next month. Right, and I got you, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I like seeing a lot of those old Mm -hmm. classic Suicide Squad folks come back. Uh, in this, you know, obviously not as died in the wool as a Suicide Squad person as Todd is, uh, I, I am as well, but I just ask, and again, this is not a bad thing, it's not a good thing. If you have Harley Quinn at your disposal, and you could use her in the first three issues of your series of essentially brand new characters, then I say good on you. Right. Or I like the idea of maybe having Harley Quinn and her being like, you know, the the peacock of DC right now or whatever. And just being like, put 
keep the character, but Tom Taylor basically like just giving her menial jobs and like that could eat the characters, you know, like in, in her head be like, like this, I'm better than this. There's a lot you could do. I'd like to see her still in this book, but feel left out, like actually as a character, if that makes any sense. But we'll see. But either way, I'm enjoying the book and that's the most important thing. I am too. Like, but I'm a, like I said, I'm a suicide squad mark. So, yep. Another book I think we're both enjoying perhaps, uh, is issue two of quantum and Woody, uh, written by Chris Hastings with art by Ryan Brown. Uh, this is the continuation of, I don't want to say the new status quo, but the follow-up from the previous miniseries where Quantum and Woody are attempting to clear their names with the government and they're getting there slowly but surely. <laughs> uh, Woody is lying, spoilers, about him having new precognitive powers, precognitive powers. Would that be the correct way of saying that? Yes, the way I say it is he could see he says he sees things before they happen. Right. And he don't, but he's lying. We don't know why he's lying about this. Mm-hmm. But the uh primary conflict in this issue is them battling Dr. Toilet. Mm-hmm. Spelled toilet. Uh the normal way that you would think to spell spell toilet, who appears to be just a head brain with some tentacles mm-hmm. that leaps onto a person and takes them over, or later in the book is able to combine several animals together to make mm-hmm. some sort of super being to try right. to combat Quantum and Woody. Right, some weird Zootron or something like that. But yes, yes um, I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I thought this issue was better than the first issue. I thought the, the first issue kind of dragged at times they were trying to get there, and now... We have an introduction of a new character that's going to help Quantum and Woody fix their name, and I like that character. Um, and I think there was way more humor in this issue than the last one that really killed me. And I'm with you every time, like you said, we know Woody's lying because the unseen narrator of the book says he's lying. And every time I see that, all I could hear is uh, Opie Cunningham talking when it happens. It's like, we're going to be like superheroes again or whatever. And then the, the narrator's like, nope, because Woody is lying. <laughs> and it's, it's, I always hear, you know, uh, Ron Howard doing it like Arrested Development. And like I said, I'm coming around on this book. I wasn't super uh, stoked on the first issue, but uh, hopefully, you know, now we're, we're in the, the home stretch of this. Yeah, this is only a four-issue miniseries. Hopefully it does well enough that they do more. Um, just like Todd is a sucker for Suicide Squad, I think I'm a little bit more of a sucker in every sentence of the word for Quantum and Woody. Right. When are we getting that TV show, Joe? And the same. I think we're going to get it the same day that we get the Booster Gold TV show, but I think the oh. Booster Gold TV show got folded into the Krypton uh, TV show. So, oh, No, that, that was... All of them got... Got folded in where we got we got Rip Hunter instead of Booster Gold in Legends of Tomorrow. We got Adam Strange instead of Booster Gold in. It seems like they like to write Booster Gold into a show and then swap them out with a D-lister in all their DC projects. So <laughs> that's the way I look at it. I swear to God. I want to see all these rejected Booster Gold pitches and what happened to them and what parts got picked up. 
Mm-hmm. For uh, other series, as it is, I like to see a producer just behind the scenes with a big hardbound copy of the old '80s and '90s Who's Who, and they're just like, "All right, we're going to do Booster Gold." Nope, can't use Booster Gold. We have another problem, and they just they just drop the book open, and whatever page they just put their finger, and they're like, "Ah, oh, Captain Compass. We're replacing Booster Gold with Captain Compass." I certainly hope not. Not in the long run. But we haven't had Booster show up in like a actual printed comic book in a little bit. Like he was in Tom King's Batman maybe like a year ago. Right. And then he was one of the main characters in Heroes in Crisis. And mm, then I don't, know, I don't know why I don't remember that. Mm, I know why I don't remember. Wasn't Wally West part of that too? Wally Manhunter now, isn't he called? I don't know. It's crazy. Harley Quinn was in there too. Yeah, and her one costume that's different from all the other costumes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them in trade, whether you get them digitally, whether you're hoping and praying that the book that has been delayed for four months finally comes <laughs> out, be forewarned and be forearmed. Know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I have a one correct guess lead over Todd. We will see how this goes from here. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at your list because I go first. And is the book you are looking forward to most Strange Adventures number one? It is not. Oh, is it Billionaire Island? It is Billionaire Island. Mm. Is the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week, Flash 750? It is Flash's 750. Because there there's go. going to be a Jeff Johns and Scott Collins Wally West story in there. And I am jacked for that. Can I just go to my local comic book store and rip those pages out for my own collection? I think you can just make sure no one's looking when you do it and put it back on the rack. Gotcha. And billionaire Island is the new, uh, Mark Russell book at Ahoy comics. Mm -hmm. I'm tenuous on the grasp of what the book is about, but we have discussed here on the show with, uh, Mark Russell's, uh, success and how much we liked second coming, how much we liked wonder twins uh, this is just a book, uh, you know, I'm kind of going into uh, sight unseen, if you will. Yep, me too. I don't know anything about it other than there's probably a billionaire in an island. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the, the pitch for this says, welcome to Billionaire Island, where anything goes if you could afford it. But the island's ultra-rich inhabitants are about to learn that their ill-gotten gains come at a very high price. I'm scared already, Joe. And I'm adding in the dun dun dun. Oh, I haven't read it yet. So how could I be dun dun dun? Well, you'll get there eventually, <laughs> I think. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out everything else that we have going on there, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, the 2017 Smash Sensation, Todd and Joe Have Issues. Uh, you can also check out our store link there to purchase shirts or stickers or pins with our fancy logo on them. If you want more 
shirts or any other items with those fancy logos and other fancy logos inspired by things from this show and from at odds with wrestling go check out our t public store if you want to help us out a little bit more you could become a patreon at patreon.com slash longbox heroes or the link on the right hand side of the page over at longboxheroes.com for as little as a dollar a month you will get two bonus shows from todd and i one babbling brooks where we go through the ovior of comics legend uh comic legend not <laughs> comics legend comic legend uh mel brooks and previewing the past where we go through page by page item by item uh for the most part the previews catalog 30 years ago to the month uh like i said the dollar folks are going to get those two shows bonus every month uh the five dollar and up Folks are going to get those two shows before everyone else, usually about two weeks beforehand. And you're going to get Long Bucks Heroes After Dark about two to three days before everyone else does as well. Um, if you don't want to pay anything extra, you just want to do your normal online shopping, maybe inebriated or not, that's up to you. <laughs> no judgments here. You could do so through our Amazon banner across the top of the page. Does not cost you anything extra. Gives us a little bit of a kickback. They call it an advertising fee. I call it me messing up uh, PayPal and attempting to request money from Todd this week as opposed to sending him his cut of the money. Yeah, (laughs) I I was like, I owe Joe money? You do, but not this reason. Right, I do It was too early in the morning for me to be doing things. And I got several apology texts, and I was like... Dude, save the apologies. Send the cash. <laughs> mm-hmm. So some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week were someone, Todd, purchased a Ninja 7-in-1 pressure slow cooker, air fryer, and more. Ooh. Someone, maybe not the same person who purchased this, but definitely purchased these next two items, uh, purchased a pack of compression socks 15 to 20 mmhgs and another pack of compression socks 20 to 30 mmhgs that's a lot of compression now todd i'm gonna ask you because i didn't know myself do you know what that mmhg stands for mmhg no right so it is a millimeter of mercury in a manometric unit of pressure okay so these these socks apparently ha- assist you with circulation in your feet ooh i'm going to have to look into that i need that right i was when i looked at it i'm like that's something todd could use wait a minute that's something i could probably use that's right your bloat foot could definitely be compressed uh-huh that's the winter months i don't really have a lot of bloat during well, the winter months. When when the summer is destroying the coronavirus, it bloats your foot. Yes. Okay, so... Uh, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Yes, from our intrepid reporter, uh, Jeremy Dennis, sent, Good first day of C2E2 today. I picked up this amazing Batman print from Claudio Castellini. I was also able to get his signature on a man, man and Superman. I met Marv Wolfman last year here, and he signed it. I'm happy to have told them both how much I enjoy the book. Um, and that Claudio Castellini sure can draw. That is a beautiful... <laughs> 
Batman print, and he's got trained bats and everything, so that's a really good piece. Uh, and that's it? Su- that's all we had? That's all we had. I didn't know... what I don't even know what Man and Superman is, actually. That issue. I don't know if that's a trade of something, or it's a 100-page super special. I, I never saw that before. Uh-huh. I'm curious. I'll be checking on that later. So It looks relatively new, based on the DC logo that's on there. That is true. It looks like the thing they're using now and with the black label. And that is a really cool Batman, uh, as you mentioned with the trained bats, but a super jacked Batman is right up my alley. That's right. When his muscles have muscles, Joe, you know he's yes. going to punch somebody. So I think that's it before we get into TV talk. Yes, that's everything, I guess. I've plugged everything that we could plug. Um, let's take a second for the folks that don't care about the TV stuff and, uh, we'll move over to, uh, that here in just a moment. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're going to be, uh, finishing up things here with Dr. Who. Right. Let's start with the flash if we could. Okay. So uh, this was seemingly a rare Flash episode that was (laughs) Flash-centric. Yeah. And this was... The A-plot, of course, was a lot of Barry dealing with the changes from Crisis. Right. And most notably not being able to find where his parents' grave is. Um, uh, What's his name? The, The Pied Piper being a baddie again. Right. But more importantly, the stuff with Grodd. Barry has dealt with Grodd dozens of times Mm -hmm. through the course of the eight seasons of this TV show. Or six seasons of this TV show. Whatever, how many seasons there's been. Right. At least one each season he's played with Grodd. Right. And Grodd has changed because he was able to see the events of Crisis change before him. Right. But, of course, Barry doesn't believe him because why would he? You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me five times. Well, that's a whole lot of shaming going on or whatever the wrong quote of that is. Right. Uh, And, of course, we get stuff with Wells uh, that pays off in the post-credits thing that we could talk about. We get more stuff as to why uh, Iris and um, uh, Eva are stuck in the mirror and why Eva is reluctant to come out of the mirror. But I really thought the Barry and Grodd stuff was super strong and maybe my favorite episode of the season. I don't know if it was my favorite episode of the season because I do like all the Grodd stuff. Though, I'm going to say this, dark, like black fur is way better to CGI than white fur on a gorilla because i thought grod looked really great but the solivar didn't look as great maybe but uh my problem with the episode is um chester p runk i i'm not a fan of that character so like his like uh caffeinated like energy wears on me really fast and like doing like doing what they did with him that and it was him who ended up messing up and then having them bring him back into the fold and help to save the day i was like okay and now as of i think they even put out a press report earlier before we started recording that he's been up 
up to like in the credits season regular, you know, so he's going to be around, but otherwise I love the, the merging of Grodd and flash to fight. And he had like this lightning bolt on his chest and he's a gorilla moving at super speed. I, I, I really like that, but the Chester stuff, just, I'm just like, that's going to, I'm going to be so bored with that before the the season's over. No, I'm okay with that only because I, I like the idea of having a bit of an overzealous fanboy involved in the group. It adds a little bit of a outsider perspective, a reason why things need to be explained. Um, and yes, I could see why he was a little bit overbearing, but I like the actor. And again, his name escapes me. Uh, I thought he did really good in the previous times that he was on the show. And I thought he did really good here. And again, I know it's not for everyone. Brandon McKnight mm-hmm. uh, is the actor's name. And I thought he did a really good job. Right. I don't know. And I, it might be, I might have a little bit of the, the Joe Spostos in that I the, like he's completely different from my Chester P. Runk chunk from comics. You know what I mean? Right. And and it, sometimes it is hard. Like sometimes you do a good job and he's different, and sometimes you don't. And I look at it as I have an affinity for that original Chester. So I don't know. That might be the part of it. I I can't really put my finger on it when it's all said and done. Why I don't like him. Gotcha. But. But like you said, the the well stuff really has me interested because now he's seeing all these visions of like the Sherlock Wells, Wells and other ones. But now like the the Sherlock Wells was doing the the Eobard vibrate with the red eyes, and I'm like, okay, does this have to do with Wells's across the board, or does this have to do with the return of the Reverse Flash? Because if it's the Reverse Flash, I'm all in on the most deadly and greatest Flash villain ever. Rogue, I'm sorry. And they're doing a a good job of kind of reestablishing the fact that Crisis may have done more harm than good in the long Mm -hmm. run. Yep. And it is not out of the realm of possibilities that this is the way that they get the reverse flashback. It certainly seems that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was a bit of a shock. You know, I didn't think, you know, the last two weeks we've been seeing these like... um, wells having these visions of other wells is right and now the fact that it's less of another wells and more of the possible return as you mentioned of the reverse flash that's a great way to end the season i'd say right and my take on it is i didn't know they were different wells because i guessing one was the original Harrison Wells and there was another well, but they looked the same just in different outfits with glasses. And then when the Sherlock one showed up, I'm like, all right, we're seeing all the different Wellses now. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that wasn't really a sta- That's one thing that I will say. It wasn't really established well that they were different Wells until you got uh, him in the Sherlock amazing wig. You know what I mean? Right. So not as good as the wig and facial hair work, which seems to be what Legends of Tomorrow has transitioned to. Right. Less wig work and tiny hats and more bad facial hair makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the... What do they call them now? Repeaters? The encores. The encores. There you go. Uh, this encore was Genghis Khan, mm-hmm. who has now come to 90s Hong Kong to try to take over the triads in his bid for power. And it's tough to say the A or the B story because it, it it's as though both stories kind of got equal footing that right. and the stuff with John Constantine. Uh, John kind of, 
you know, coming to terms with the fact that now he is going to die, realizing that stage four lung cancer just doesn't happen overnight, that someone is messing with him. Mm-hmm. And I've we've talked before how the John stuff really wasn't resonating with me because it was more so playing in stuff that happened on the John Constantine TV show that I did not watch. This time around, a little bit more direct, a little bit more dire of a circumstance, a little bit more contained of a circumstance that by now I'm already aware of the other players from the Constantine TV show. So this felt like it had a lot more gravity to me. Right. And it was kind of me. Yes. And I kind of like the idea of like for a little bit, John giving in and deciding to have one last night with some pals. And that was kind of cool to see, to see him with Ray and Gary and everything. And then it's back to it. He might have a way out with uh, the shapeshifter. She might have like one of those artifacts, like the loom. And she turns out to be one of the uh, three fates of the old Greek fates and everything. So, yes, I'm with you. I do believe they did a really good job of balancing the two, the A and the B plot, which was really A and A1 um, on this. And I enjoyed it. And I do like, you know, anytime you can get a good, you know, Genghis Khan con scream in um and then the i and there are times where this this show makes me completely crack up where ava has this hey she does this program with gideon where she could find these time encore anomalies before they happen she's like so we don't have to worry about changing time we stop them and, and everybody's like yeah that's great and then nate brings in his scooter which he now calls scoots magoots and i couldn't stop laughing like she's like that, and I'm like, there's those moments that I absolutely adore when uh, we're watching like Legends of Tomorrow. It's just so ridiculous and so just get me to cooey 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 because we are heading down that goofy lane, man. The title of this episode was almost Scoots Magoots. Oh, really? Yes, but we have something else for what it is. I have to circle back with you here on that. You know? Okay, but Scoots Magoots is a great thing to call a scooter. Yes. Oh, and I have one last thing I want to say. I do think with uh, the uh, Nora as the French uh, queen that I think because Ray is starting to pine for his life with Nora and as her as the fairy godmother, uh, he can't do that. So while they have her trapped as the queen, I think they're going to swap something. I do. So Nora and uh, Ray can have a happy ever after, if you know what I mean. I'm really like watching. I'm like, why would they keep her version around of this, like the encore of the actress and keep like going back and forth. There's something weird's going to happen there, mm-hmm. but that's an interesting want- theory, but yes, because it would have been more of a joke if they had all the encores played by other legends, right? In like dual if- roles. Like, you know, the actor who play uh, Dominic Purcell is uh, Genghis Khan so now we get him as Rory, and we get him as Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan of the show. The fact that it says one actress doing the dual role specifically for this means something's up. Right. And I do want to give credit to the actor and actress who's playing uh, Sarah and obviously Mick. Um, just give them props for having this one of the sweetest bit jobs in the acting biz. Because literally all they have to do is wander through the scene once, and they get paid. Like Sarah and Mick have had like next to zero screen time in the last four episodes, three episodes. Right. Cause I was going to say, cause Sarah had big stuff to do in the crossover. Mm-hmm. 
and nobody else really did, where she had nothing to do here until the very end. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, what is she doing? Is she like doing some sort of other something? Like she she was basically in the uh, she was in the last couple episodes of Arrow. Okay. When they when they had like after the crisis, there was two. I believe there was two episodes left, and she was in both of them. So they were probably she was probably filming that while like she was absent on Legends. Mick, I have no idea why. Mick is just drinking beer in the kitchen, and they cut to him eating a sandwich, and then he's like, "Oh, I'm pining over my girlfriend." That you know, uh, that, I don't know. Like, just collect that check. That's all I can say without having to take the bumps, as you say, Joe. There you go. It's about the it's about the money and the miles. That's what the great ones say. Right. Supper Shredder himself says that. <laughs> Tell you the ins and outs is. of every La Quinta from here to Timbuktu. <laughs> oh, boy. Anywho. Um, so, uh, with Sarah not being around, I really think Ava has become, like, a great character. With a great, like, uh, she's the straight man to Zari right now, it seems. Like, the well, is that who it is? The, the sister who Nate's in love with? Yeah. Okay, I like their their they play off each other well. You know what I mean? But yes, Ava has come into her own while Sarah is away. So I feel Sarah might not be long for the show that they're like, you know, they're molding Ava to be the head of the team or something. I could see that. I could see that. We'll see. We only have a couple episodes left, so. Yep. But uh Legend Tomorrow was real good. Mm-hmm. Now on to the to the elephant in the room, Joe's favorite show, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, it's the season finale. Yes. We've got stuff with the doctor and the master. Right. Um, obviously, you know, Ryan and Yaz and Graham are attempting to, you know, stave off with the rest of the remaining humans, the Cybermen invasion. There's some good fun infiltration, uh, scenes. There's a really tense scene where does the lead Cyberman have a name? No, he was just the lone side, like the last cyber, whatever, whatever Captain Jack called him. And I can't recall right now. That's what he was called, like the lone or the final Cyberman or something like that. Right. So there was that really good scene where they're kind of in the room with all the Cybermen and they were on the hideout from he was trying to find them by opening the doors. It was a classic cat and mouse scene, but it was really well done. I thought it was, uh, you know, very tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the big thing in this episode was, you know, they've been hyping since the beginning of this season. Everything you know is wrong. Right. And am I a dope? I, I, I know very little about who or what the timeless child is. But is it supposed to be a shock that the doctor is the timeless child? Yes. Why? Well... Do you do you mean that it turned out to be her? Because the timeless child, we've never had anything that the 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 time lord race was created from this this thing that they found. You know what I mean? To, in the history, the time lords just rose up, ended up getting their regenerations and mastered time travel and everything. And the doctor was one of them later. Uh, whatever the reason was, we never really knew it. Just. Got fed up, something happened, stole a TARDIS and left and ran and was a renegade because they stole a TARDIS. That's the only history that we knew. And then I always equate it to doctor. Or the doctor is like Wolverine. 
like early on for the first like couple years of the, the thing, it was like all we knew was renegade from its own people, stole a TARDIS, would get in trouble if they got caught. Then over the years, they slowly started to explain the doctor. And I never really liked that. We got more and more and more and more. And now they're trying to make it a mystery again that she just showed up at this gate and they ended up taking the regeneration and creating the timelines. So nobody knows where she comes from. And instead of making it more mysterious, it just makes it more convoluted. If that makes any sense to you. That's okay. the way I look at the, the origin of the doctor. Cause I know you don't know any of this, you know? No, I don't. Right. You know, it, the doctor who is just this kind of ubiquitous thing. Right. That, you know, you just accept it is what it is right. at this point. You know, you don't need to know what Darth Vader's origin is, even though they give it to you, or you don't need to know what any sort of like thing from pop culture that has permeated beyond pop culture. And, you know, as much as I rib you and it about it, Doctor Who is kind of that sort of thing. Right. There's iconic imagery that goes along with it that people just know through osmosis of pop culture. Right. So now, I guess, with this revelation, does is it that there's there's been more than the allotted amount of re regenerations that we've always been told that they're supposed to be? Right, because in the episode, they end up saying that when the doctors, when the, do the Time Lords figured out how to uh, duplicate the regeneration, that they only gave themselves 12 regeneration, which was the rule that we thought with the Doctor. Well, we find out now that the Doctor has unlimited regenerations that they know of. So that's the difference. Like she's not actually, whatever they name, they name the people, the woman who went out space traveling off of Gallifrey found the doctor and she's like the Bogans or something like that. They became the time Lords. So the doctor was supposed to be a race of Gallifreyans and now she's something else. So I don't, and like you said, they, that that's why the regenerations are different. She has apparently a million of them or indefinite and the doc and the time Lords only get 12 because they set themselves up for that. Does that help your question at all? Well, okay, a little bit. But uh, trying to piece these things together, this feels like now, you know, when you... Uh, I, found a, uh, I found a genie lamp, I get three wishes. Well, my first wish is for a million wishes. Right. So this thing that's been established with Doctor Who for 50 See, years? Yep. Or now, less. all of a yep. sudden, it's just like, yeah, it's all different now. Because it, yep. we've limited ourselves. Who knew this was going to go beyond, you know, 10 years, let alone 50 years. Mm. We need to write a way in for an out on this. And I guess this is it. But they already had it because the doctor ran through their regenerations. And see, that's the thing is I don't hate this story. Like I've talked to other people, maybe a fancy gentleman, and he does not like what they did here because it contradicts all the the modern doctor who stuff like there's a whole thing where they lay down like the doctor was dying on his last regeneration and the time lords showed up and saved him and gave him all these regenerations and you're like you're just wiping away the 11 the 10 seasons or 11 seasons before this and contradicting everything and like even in little ways like this uh, they're calling her the fugitive doctor the black woman that we met earlier who maybe before the doctor realized 
she had multiple regenerations. So they're establishing maybe there are a bunch of doctors that she doesn't remember before the first one. And she's traveling around in a blue phone box. But the only reason the TARDIS is in a blue phone box was because it broke during the first doctor's visit to earth and was stuck. The camouflage circuit was that way. So I'm like, all right, that contradicts this and that contradicts that. And that contradicts this. And like I said, all joking aside at X-Men's up things. It's like, instead of making her more mysterious, like you're trying to do. And that's literally what the, the, the guys running the show now said, we're trying to make her more mysterious because everything's been told about her that you just make it, you don't make it mysterious. You're just like, Oh man, like, yeah, everything's just screwed. Like nothing makes sense anymore. And it's not fun. I, I don't know. It's the best way I can put it. Okay. So I don't think anyone watching this thought the doctor was going to die. No. One no. of the doctors like, well, I'm going to do this thing and everyone get out of here and I need to set this off. And uh, of course that other guy comes back in the, the guy who had all the weapons. What was his I don't know his name, but he was uh, he was Jor-El's granddaddy from uh, Krypton. Right, right, right. So he's the one who sacrifices himself. Uh, we get an epilogue of those weird rhino-headed things from earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. They're on the they're on the TARDIS in the TARDIS somehow, and then they put the Doctor in jail, and we end on a cliffhanger of the Doctor in prison. Right, which will be the and just so you know, Joe, it'll be. 10, ep 10 months before you have to watch that. So no hurry on that. Because literally they said this holiday season, I'm like, I guess they mean Christmas, New Year's? Um, so that's looking like where we're going to have it. Yes. And that's a, a lot of what they do sometimes, just have a cliffhanger for that that special episode that they're going to do. You know, gotcha. And I'll give you a little trick that they do in all... All, like when you're like, oh, nobody thought the doctor was going to die. It's because that's why they have guest stars every week. So they can do the dirty work that the doctor never has to do. That's the trick. Like even one villain said, like you turn all your companions or anybody you run into into weapons. So you never have to get your hands dirty. And it's funny because it's always that way. It's like, well, I guess I have to blow up this planet and kill the enemy. Um, so I'm going to do it. And it's like, no, you're too good of a person, doctor. I'll do it. And I'm like, I've seen this. 15 seasons like and even into the old stuff it just gets repetitive so as soon as it happened i'm like i know who it's going to be it's not going to be those three people that they met it's going to be the old guy saying i've had a full life and go doctor you're better than this and i'm like yeah okay here we are <laughs> you know that and you'll watch you'll get to notice all the tricks as you watch doctor who for the years and years you have to do it for this podcast joe so, uh, in the grand scheme of things, I thought this was fine. Being mm -hmm. a new Doctor Who fan, I, I, I understand why they're doing this. Mm -hmm. I have no real attachments to who or what the Timeless Child was supposed to be. Um, you know, I don't care if there's two regenerations or a billion regenerations. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought the threat of the Cybermen was cool. Um, I'm concerned to see where Ryan and Yaz and Graham are. Right. Being that they seem to be separated from the doctor, and I'm sure there'll be some sort of thing where they come to rescue her. Right. Uh, but, you know, I thought this season, all in all, except for, like, the one episode I didn't watch and <laughs> one other episode that was just okay. Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, and all in all, it's not the worst season of Doctor Who I've ever watched. But it's just, like I said, I have an attachment to stuff. So when you do do that whole everything you 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 know is a lie, it's like, 
oh man, well, don't even just waste, I don't know, just don't waste the good stuff too, you know, <laughs> like fix the bad stuff, leave the good stuff. So, but that being said, am I going to stop watching Doctor Who? Probably not, Joe. I really thought you were going to say probably. I'm sorry. I thought this would have been the final straw. I'm done. I'm out. Well, you're, you'd be the big Doctor Who fan on the show now then. Mm-hmm. Well, then I guess we'd just make the sacrifice and never talk about it again. Or we'd get a, a guest to come in and talk about it with me. No, we just never talk about it again. Fair enough. Uh, but no TV talk next week. Everything's either done or on break for some reason. Yes. Doctor Who's done. And, well, this, because as we're recording, it's Super Tuesday, Joe. You don't want to be having the people watch Flash and Legend when they should be out there voting for Democrats and stuff. Don't you vote earlier in the day? Yes, but people will be home watching the results instead of Legends of Tomorrow and Flash. They'll be like, was it Biden? Was it Bernie? Who knows? Mm. That, and that's about as political as I get, Joe. I guess. Mm-hmm. You could watch both. You know, you could do picture in picture. You could do a scroll. <laughs> right. Or maybe they even have the scroll down the bottom of the screen. But then you might not see the Flash's boots when he's running. Well, I was going to make the joke and say you'll have the scroll at the bottom that says here's what's going on in Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> oh, during the during the Super Tuesday? Yes. That's what I want. Or maybe the Legends have to show up and save the election. Oh, there you go. That's the episode I want to watch. With like an encore evil politician. Fantastic. Boy, Nixon we... running for office again. They just lift an old Futurama script. <laughs> there you go. With the headless body of Spiro Agnew. Yes. All right. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, episode, what are we looking at here in the books? 492. 492? Creeping yep. closer to 501, I tell you. Oh, we got to get the Rob on the blower. Uh, and you know what? Um, even though it wasn't part of the main show... Um, Rob, the Rob still has not uh, locked his profile on Twitter. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. He's a man of his word, Joe. The man of he's a man of words. Yes, yes, he is. Not that words, but you know what I mean. Right. He's got enough problems with uh, best-selling authors that just that words. Anyway, true. For Todd, this is Joe closing out the show before we ramble any further. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see y'all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.